there, Think Hard listeners. Danielle here. So we're bringing you this rerun of episode 37, Vision Board, in preparation for a talkback episode we have coming out in a couple weeks. We have a special guest coming on to tell you all the things that Jose and I got wrong about the law of attraction. This was such a great conversation, and I'm really excited to share it with you. So listen back again to Vision Board and keep your eyes peeled for that episode in a few weeks, and we'll see you then. I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Think Hard, the podcast where two trained philosophers think hard about the real world. I'm Danielle Lasusa. I'm a philosophical coach and consultant, and I teach at Portland Community College in Portland, Oregon. And with me today, as always, is my magnificent co-host, Jose Muniz. Hey, everybody. I'm Jose Muniz, and I teach at Lehman College in the Bronx. Hey, Jose. Hey. So today, we are going to talk about... The law of attraction. Woohoo. Yeah. Very new agey. So very sexy. Yes. Well, not that kind of attraction. I mean maybe maybe that kind of attraction. <laughs> I if... was sold a bill of goods. <laughs> So let's start at the beginning here. Do you know what the law of attraction is? When I say those words, does that mean anything to you? I have never heard of this in my life. Shut up, really? Yeah, no, I'm serious. You, you clearly do not live in Portland, Oregon. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> where like, all of the hippies manifest their desired worlds. Mm. The law of attraction is essentially the idea that you attract into your life what you focus on. Oh, okay. I've heard of the idea. I didn't know it was called the law of attraction. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of like the catch-all term, I think, for people. It's the secret, the self-help book and quote-unquote documentary movie, whatever the, whatever the hell that was. The secret is the law of attraction, that you attract what you focus on into your life. And the idea is that if you focus on things that you want and you think about them and you dream about them and you imagine them and you visualize them, that you will bring those positive things into your life and those positive mm. experiences. And if you focus on things that are bad in your life, negativity, regret, pain, that you will attract more of those experiences into your life. Is this that vision board thing? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. It's Vision boards are like a key feature for the law of attraction. <laughs> okay. So I just want to outline a few key ideas of the law of attraction and why vision boards are important. But my... <laughs> My thesis. <laughs> I never thought I was going to say that, did you? Those are great words. <laughs> My thesis about the law of attraction is that it's not total bullshit. However, the way that it is usually talked about is very problematic. It tips very easily into bullshit. And I think that there are some key ideas in the law of attraction that are concrete and pragmatic and make sense and are actually useful and helpful for people to improve their lives. Mm -hmm. But there are also parts of this idea that range from the totally nonsensical to the politically dangerous. Okay. So that's sort of where I'm falling on this. This should be an amazing episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be fun. I wanted to do this topic because, as you know, I love self-help. 
And a lot mm-hmm. of the books that I have been consuming lately have a version of this law of attraction element in them. And I find myself somewhat persuaded by them, but also really bristling at other parts. So I just wanted to have this conversation and kind of sort it out for myself. Maybe you can help me. All right. Here's what I've come to gather as the key parts of the law of attraction. So one is that what you focus on, you attract into your life, as I've said. Then there's this idea that like attracts like and that thoughts become things. That's something that you often hear too. Thoughts become things. And these seem to rest on some sort of weird metaphysical view of reality that says that we're all from the same source energy and thoughts and physical objects are from the same source and you can turn thoughts into things in some sort of strange alchemical process. Right. It's practical alchemy. Yeah, exactly. And also there's this idea of you have to keep your frequency high and you do that through positive thoughts and that high vibes will attract other high vibes into your life. I don't know. It rests on this whole like metaphysical, just total hooey that I cannot find any. Well, can you explain what you mean by the hooey part? So just to be more specific. Okay. So in preparation for this episode, I went to thelawofattraction.com. It has 6.7 million Facebook likes. So clearly is popular out there in the world. And they have a section in there about the science of the law of attraction that has Mm -hmm. no content. It It just, it literally has no content. It just says there's science to the law of attraction. And as scientists and physicists are showing us more and more how the law of attraction is true, you can see how it will work in your life. That's the only thing that it says. So I'm like trying to do my best to figure out like what exactly could people mean by this idea that thoughts become things. Mm -hmm. And the best that I can do to make sense of it is that it is a nice metaphor. Right. The more you think about things, the more you pay attention to them in your life. They loom larger in your mind. It's like when you, I don't know, get a new car and suddenly you see that make and model everywhere you go, you know, or you learn a new word and suddenly it pops up everywhere. You're somehow more attentive to this thing and it seems to grow in your experience. And so in that sense, thoughts become things in that you have a thought and then you notice the things. But I think that what I am gathering by my preliminary research in doing reading various self-help books and lawofattraction.com is that there's some belief that in fact there is this metaphysical reality to this that somehow like attracts like which when you think about it is actually not true of like magnets and electricity and lots of other things so (laughs) so i'm not sure where it's coming from but the other part of the law of attraction from what i gather is not only that you have to think positive thoughts but you also have to feel that positive changes have already occurred in your life and that's where like the visualization and the vision board come into play because you're supposed to visualize your future house that you want down to every detail and put up a vision board. And the more concrete it can become, the more you will feel like you are already experiencing it and the more powerful your manifesting ability will become. Okay. So I see your (laughs) your issues with this, right? Right. All right. So what is your first impression of all this? So my first impression is if the claim is, I'm not going to speak like a philosopher. I'm going to speak like a human being. Sorry about that, folks. (laughs) 
I don't think if you put up a vision board of a Lamborghini and you focus on that Lamborghini picture every single day and you feel in your heart, I already own a Lamborghini. I do not think the atoms that create a Lamborghini get together, make a Lamborghini and transfer ownership to you. I don't, I take that's what you mean by the metaphysical claim that there's this idea that you're on the right wavelength and somehow the focusing creates the things that you want and then gives them to you. Exactly. I think that there's like this strange belief that in fact that thinking about the thing rearranges the molecules of the universe to create the thing and then deliver it to you. Yes. I think that is absolutely false. It cannot happen. It does not happen. But (laughs) unlike some people, I actually have a great deal of sympathy to some of the things that you've laid out here. Mm -hmm. As do I. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say first. Oh, sure. So I can look like the raving (laughs) lunatic. (laughs) But before you do, I just want to give a little bit of background. So the law of attraction, this thing that I'm talking about, just some references for books that I have read that make reference to this in case any of our listeners want a little bit more grounding. For example, some of the early ones are Wallace Waddle's The Science of Getting Rich, Think and Grow Rich by uh, Napoleon Hill, The Secret Mm. by whatever that person's name is. And You Are a Badass by Jensen Chero is sort of a more contemporary one came out i think 2014 a few years ago and it's sort of a reformulation i know i when i read it i loved it it's basically a repackaging of lots of these other ideas and this was the book that started me down this thinking about the law of attraction so now i feel like parts of me really bristles at it and pushes back but parts of me is really persuaded so tell me jose what parts persuade you two things persuade me first I do think that if something is important enough to you that you make a vision board, that you put the picture up, that you are saying in a very real physical sense, this isn't just something I kind of care about. This isn't just something on my mind that I'm going to take the time to make this important. And I do think that that can often be the little bit more that helps you be more motivated and take Take advantage of opportunities and I dare say be receptive to possibilities in the world. So if you really, really, really care about a Lamborghini and you don't just say, oh, that's something I wish I could have or or you think about it in your moments, but you actually care enough to make this board and put that picture up and you look at it every day before you go to work. I could see someone making the claim that every time a possible overtime shift comes, you take the overtime shift and Mm -hmm. every time you could waste your money on some superfluous thing, you don't because that's so important to you. And I could see a kind of way of saying that's what it means by focus. Making things a priority in your life gives you a chance to take advantage of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's one charitable reading of it. Mm -hmm. The one about like attracts like, even that one, I think I could see something to it in the sense that who do I hang out with? Roughly intellectuals. Who do I spend my time with if I think about it? People who are in my lifestyle. Whether it's going out or partying, who do businessmen spend their free time with? Businessmen. Mm -hmm. I could kind of see the point that membership in a group will often link you to other members of that group. And maybe that's one way to read like attracts like. Mm. Yeah. If you read it that way, then yes, it's not only the social cultural positioning that people group into, but I think for 
people who are big proponents of this would also say things like positive people, people who put out good vibes of positivity and who are generally happy and, I don't know, always look on the bright side, will attract those kinds of people also into their life and then will somehow gain more opportunities because people like being around them. And I think maybe that's my reading as well, right? If you not only maybe if I want to be the person that owns a Lamborghini, I should start hanging out with other people who own Lamborghinis so that I visualize myself as being a member of their club all that more. But also if I am someone who acts as if I already own one and it is just on its way to me and has not made it to me yet, that I don't know, maybe when I go shopping for the Lamborghini, people will take me more seriously or I will be able to get the job that will give me the salary that will allow me to afford the Lamborghini Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. So that when I focus on that thing, my movement towards that, my mental movement towards it will raise my frequency, as they say, bring more positivity into my life and thus attract those experiences and things. I hate that language, raise my frequency. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay. So maybe one more charitableness before we start ripping. Yes. (laughs) I could see, even beyond the social class or, you know, racial thing, Mm. I could see something like this. You know, there was a time when I was a real depressed drunk. Mm. Just imagine there was a time like that. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't my years in Philadelphia. I will imagine that. And you know what? If I think about it, I spent a lot of time with other miserable drunks. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And as I've become happier and more positive, I spend a lot of time with happy and positive people. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you have to buy into that body gives off a frequency and somehow we have antenna. I do think there is something to be said that complementary people will often hang out. Of course, the counter example is oftentimes opposites attract. (laughs) Right. Mm And I don't really know what to do with that one. But I guess my last charitable reading here is I can see how even just being positive might link you with other positive people. But I don't think it's because your body is giving off energy. I think that, again, the raise your frequency thing is, in my mind, mostly metaphor again. And I say mostly just because of my experience with meditation, my experience of the vibrations of the body after 10 days of sitting silently and experiencing Mm -hmm. my literal frequency of my body and knowing that when you feel calm and happy, you tend to have much more subtle sense of vibration. And when you feel stressed out, in my experience, the vibrations are much bigger and less comfortable. So in that sense, it actually is this metaphysical vibration. Mm -hmm. That's not really, I think, what is at work. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I don't know that that has anything to do with what people are saying when they say raise your frequency. Again, to me, it feels like a metaphor where it's like tuning a radio station to seeing the world a certain way. And when you turn that, you're able to pick up the quote unquote messages that the universe (laughs) is sending. Right. See, it's all of this like crazy language. But if you see it all as metaphor, again, it's like when you learn a new word and then you start to see it everywhere or you really want that Lamborghini you put a picture of it up on your wall and suddenly like any time that anyone is selling a Lamborghini your antenna go up and you can receive it that information you're on the lookout for it those opportunities seem more plentiful to you whereas me like I don't give two shits about a Lamborghini so I would never even notice mm-hmm. and that is the way in which you're 
tuned to Lamborghini radio, as it were, if you're really focused on that. Well, so we've given these charitable interpretations. I think they're pretty good. Let's talk about the bad side here. Yeah. (laughs) What's at stake if this shit is just wrong? (sighs) Right. Well, before we do that, I want to give one more look at the charitable side, Mm -hmm. which is philosophically, there actually is some substance to this idea that the things we focus on grow. And I think that it's not only, as you've said, that you notice opportunities and take in opportunities for those things to grow in your life, but also that your sense of reality really is shaped by what you pay attention to. It's sort of the man is the measure of all things, Pythagoras. This idea that our reality consists of what we give our mental attention to. And if we spend our mental attention focusing on things that we regret or on past failures or current failures or bad things or worrying about the future, that in fact, that does make our sense of what is real. And it does also literally impact what we perceive. When our stress level is up, we can only see the negative things or we can only see the things that contribute to our story of what is good or bad in our life. And so we literally are creating our sense of the world through what we pay attention to. So I think that there is something a little bit more philosophically rich about this idea that our thoughts make our world. And in fact, there are philosophers, they are thoroughly discredited in this day and age. Just a joke. Um, The idealist who literally believed Mm-hmm. That ideas, mm-hmm. at the very least, the realm of ideas and material were not as straightforwardly separated as we might think today, right? Yeah. Berkeley thinks you even eat ideas. So right. I get that part. And clearly, like as an example, you know, there was this one relationship I had and I got burned really bad and the person just ghosted me. I wrote oh. to them and never heard from them again. And it took me a long time to let go of that. Mm. And the more I held on to that pain, I can literally see how my conceptualization of other people, particularly people who were like trying to get into my life as a friend or whatever, Mm -hmm. was shaped by it. All I was thinking of, is this person going to do the same thing to me? And I couldn't let the things of the world be what they are. I was literally projecting and imposing this idea. And yeah, reality seemed that way to me. If I opened my eyes, that's what I saw. So clearly our thoughts can have some relationship to reality. And so if you feel like you're rich, like you are full of pleasant experiences and you really take the time to pay attention to the pleasant things in your life, you will actually feel and be richer. Maybe not having more money in your bank account, but you will be more able to enjoy the good things in your life. So there is something Mm. to be said about about that. What? Well, okay, you have to visualize and be in that moment. Uh So you said rich, which made me wonder, right? So Mm. you might say, Oh, to be wealthy, you have to act wealthy. You have to have that air and confidence. Mm. And so you end up spending money you don't have. Right. You end up getting further away from being rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's 
perhaps one misguided way of living this out. Yeah, Yeah. maybe of applying it. I think that your idea is right when you talked about the Lamborghini. If you look at the Lamborghini every day and that's your goal, you're going to be hell-bent on getting it, which means you're going to do everything you can do to scrap together the money to get it. And one would hope that if you have your Toyota Corolla now, you enjoy it and are grateful for it and do not treat it like this burden in your life that you are desperate to get rid of, but it's something that is serving you, then you're generally going to be happier and more content with your life. And being happier also comes with a lot of real concrete benefits as well. Not only you can lower your stress, you're healthier, but also you can be more productive, more creative, better at problem solving, better at decision making, all of those things that will allow you to do the kinds of things that you need to do to get the money to get the Lamborghini. Mm. No? Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Provisional. <laughs> right. We're going to get to the mean part soon, so. Okay, yeah. All right. So given all the credit that we can give to this idea, let's talk about some of the problems. Yeah. You want to go first? You're sick with cancer. Right. (gasps) Yes. I have news for you. Right. Dude. (laughs) Picturing yourself healthy, imagining yourself healthy. It may make you feel better. I can totally see that. It is not going to do anything for the cancerous cells in your body. Mm -hmm. You need to go to a doctor. You need to get some medicine or therapy or something. And my worry is the limits of what focus can do for you, the limits of what visualization can do for you are only apparent when you don't take it as a metaphor, when you're just treating it literally and understand that science has its place. That mm-hmm. yes, metaphor can help you understand these things and how they work. But if you're not aware, if you're not in on the interpretation as an interpretation, you may get yourself in a lot of trouble. Now, again, if you are less stressed and more positive, then maybe you will lower your stress levels and your immune system will be stronger and better able to fight the cancer. But that has limits. It yeah. has limits. And as you said, it's not going to eliminate the cancerous cells from your body. And I think it's dangerous for two reasons. To say to people, if you just pray harder or think positively or do whatever positive attitude is going to cure your cancer or solve your disease, one, it's very dangerous for people health-wise because Mm -hmm. they will die if they don't get the treatment that they need. And two, it's dangerous ethically because not only then does this idea say that if you think positive thoughts, that positive things will come into your life, but it implies then that if bad things come into your life, that somehow you are responsible for them. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Right? So like you get cancer and it's like, well, you must have been thinking negative things to attract this into your life. And we spent centuries getting rid of that shitty attitude. You can imagine in the Middle Ages where it was, well, you deserved to get leprosy because you are an evil sinner. And it's like, dude, it's a biological disease. It's transferring. We have the science. We know that it's not how you got leprosy. But if you really believe these negative things came in because you attracted them, now you are not only sick, but you are morally responsible for that sickness in a horrible way. God or the gods or what, you know, the universe must be punishing you for your negativity. Yeah. Which is just like a way to really pile it on yourself because it means that not only does this bad thing befall you, but now it's your fault as well. It's your fault. 
And also, what is the motivation to try and solve problems if you can just say with the wave of a hand, this is because you attracted it? Why should there be a scientist curing leprosy if we really believed that it's because you've attracted it with your negative energy? If you go too far down this rabbit hole, then it's really easy, as you say, just dismiss science altogether and say Mm -hmm. like, oh, thoughts become things. We'll just like think ourselves well and we'll think away cancer and we'll think away poverty and we'll think away all these ills of the world when clearly you need to move things around in the world for those things to happen. Yeah. And on a related note, so some people, let's even be generous. Let's say most people can create the vision board and visualize the things that they want in life and focus. And let's say they take advantage of the opportunity and they get it. Some people won't and never will because the world is a shitty place. And our energy should be focused on making a fair world where everybody gets an opportunity. And if we just believe in focus and have good intentions and good feelings and you'll accomplish stuff, that's never going to help those people who have no chance. Yes. So I think there are like two different problems here. One is that it's the cancer problem writ more large. It's Mm -hmm. not only like you individual person have a bad thing that happens to you, but what about whole groups of people who are like systematically oppressed? Are we going to say that African Americans for generations have been thinking negatively and this is why the (laughs) legacy of the curse of slavery and racism is like the problem? If they would just think more positively, then they would find their way out of racism. Clearly that's dangerous and it is wrong right (laughs) it's like it's wrong in both sense it's untrue and it's morally wrong and I think the other part of that is one thing that I notice in a lot of these books that I've been consuming is it's all this energy to focus on the good things and focus on the positive things and that you should not think about the poor or think Mm -hmm. about the oppressed or think about people who are worse off than you, that you need to make friends. If you want to be rich, you got to make friends with rich people and hang around and do rich things because like attracts like and because that's the circle you want to run in, you got to go run in it. But it means that you don't spend any time or energy thinking about inequality, thinking about oppression, thinking about all of the problems in the world and figuring out how to fix them. And at the same time, I can see a a balanced middle position here, right? I can see the value, even if you're in a really bad group that is treated horribly and oppressed, that maybe focusing can help you relative to your position right now. Or Mm -hmm. maybe being positive can help you take advantage of opportunities. So long as you realize that it's just a metaphor, (laughs) that this is just a weird game you're playing with a prioritization of your mind and not get taken in with the idea that somehow magically this stuff is going to happen for you because that is not going to happen for you. All right, so let's assume that it is all metaphor. We both agree that the metaphysical gymnastics one would have to do to make this actually true is too far to go. But even if we assume it is metaphor, I agree with you in that that kind of positive thinking can improve your life wherever you may be in the social world. I think that sometimes as I'm going through this self-help journey of mine, these books are like, think about what exactly do you want? And it makes me realize that one, I don't really quite know what I want in lots of parts of my life. And two, when I think about what I do want, I 
don't know that I set my sights very high. Like my sights are already calibrated by my sense of what's possible for me, given my social positioning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so when I think about a future career I could have or the amount of money that I could make or the kind of house that I could live in or whatever, it's already conditioned by my sense of what's possible for me. And I think that if we take the most charitable interpretation of this law of attraction and say, okay, it does work in a variety of ways, that one of the issues that I don't really ever hear any of these authors talk about is the way in which our desires and our sense of what's possible for us is limited by the kind of education we've received, the messaging we've received about who we can be and what's possible for us, and etc. Like, as interpreted through the lens of race and class and gender. I don't know. There's something about this that makes me want to say that one of the... I don't know. that. I don't know what I want to say. Well, how about this? Why don't I give their side of this and you fight me back? Okay. They will say something like this. Yes, Daniel, you are shaped by these external factors. And that's why you have to join the group you want to be in. So, Daniel, you started a business. And when you started the business, you hadn't had a business before. So your dreams and hopes of how much to charge or how much you would make or how many clients you have were shaped by not being a business person. And so they were modest. Mm -hmm. But if you went to the, I don't know, do you have a chamber of commerce in Portland? I don't know what kind of town that is. Probably. (laughs) Let's say you hung out with these other businessmen and women and you talked about revenues and income and they started sharing with you different senses of what numbers are good for you. Then your desires would be changed. And then as you move up the ranks, you see what... How their Mm -hmm. answer is going to be. The whole point of uh, surrounding yourself with the people you want to be with is that, yes, they will shape you and they will shape your desires. And I happen to think that's a horrible part of it (laughs) because there's no self-correcting there. What if desiring the Lamborghini is horrible for you? Mm -hmm. Well, you've just set yourself up for like hanging out all the time with people who own Lamborghinis. You are now in a worse position to critically judge whether or not your desire for the Lamborghini is good or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think there's also the thing about opportunity and access that there are just certain people who have have the networking and the ability to find their way into those social circles that are just some people have a much easier time than others. And to say that we're going to blame those people that don't have those connections for not hanging with the right people just seems to me to, again, to be layering some spiritual failing on top of already inequitable society. Yeah. My answer to that is, I think you can guess it already. I happen to be a Christian. There's tons of other religions. And I think these other traditions might have similar answers. But mine is there's a whole bunch of metaphor in the Bible. God doesn't hear your prayers. God doesn't have ears. And like sound doesn't travel through a vacuum. (laughs) It's a metaphor. It's just saying that God cares about you in a personal way. But at the same time, the very same scripture says kingdom of God is at hand today. Make it happen today. And there should be a just and fair world today. And it's this balancing act between the metaphor that I think we need because that's how people talk. Mm. And at the same time, a call to direct action today to not be in a metaphor, but live today. 
if you can go into the law of attraction, understanding its limitations and trying to also live outside of it, you might be able to find some value in there. So have you ever or would you ever make a vision board? You assume that I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I asked the first one, have you ever or would you ever? Well, I've never knew about this, but I do have something like it. (laughs) Yeah. In uh, my office, sometimes I have a difficult day at work. I have a little picture of Pavarotti. He was Uh an opera singer from the 80s. Yeah. And it's a picture of him sitting in front of a mirror, getting ready for a performance, looking very sad. And right above it, it says, you look beautiful. And whenever I have a really hard day, I look at that picture. And for some shitty reason, I do brighten up. Oh, that's nice. That's my vision board. Oh. (laughs) Do you? I don't. You know what? I actually have been like intending to create one for, I don't know, a year. I have scraps that I've like cut out from magazines in a file folder somewhere. And I've never actually done the collaging of the vision board. Mm -hmm. I also have not had an office until last Mm. week. So my husband and I moved. And so now I have an actual office space with a desk with like a wall that I could put things on. So this is very exciting for me. So who knows? I might fill it up with... I have ideas in my brain of what I want to put on my various vision boards. I will say this, that last year, right about this time, actually, I was like, I'm going to make a vision board and the thing I'm going to put on it front and center is TEDx because I want to give a TED talk. And I sort of made this imaginary vision board in my head. And then literally that same week, I applied for the TEDx PCC and I got the talk. So maybe there's something to it. Right, but it's not because the vision board made the TEDx talk invitation for you. It manifested it, Jose. You got a PhD. You did a lot of work and research. There happened to be a TEDx round going on. Mm -hmm. You filled out an incredible application. You had a meaningful thing. Yes, you took advantage of an opportunity and it focused you. Yes, I will say, I don't think I would have taken advantage of that opportunity had I not said to myself, I'm going to do this in the next two years. I'm just, I'm going to do it. It's going on my board. I'm going to do it. And I think I would have seen that flyer for TEDx the next week and said, oh yeah, that would be nice. I'd really like to do that sometime. But as you said at the beginning, if you take the time to cut out the picture and put it on your wall and look at it every day, it becomes, instead of something that would be nice that you feel like you don't have access to, you decide that it is something that you are going to get and you're going to figure out how to get it. And one last thing, one of the great ideas behind a board, I think, is that a board is limited. You can Uh, dream immensely in infinite things, but a board is a choice. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out which of your dreams are most important to you. Right. Well, I would love to hear from our listeners. Have you ever made a vision board? Does it work for you? What do you think about the law of attraction in your life? Have you seen it work? Have you not? Are there criticisms that we have not thought of that you would like to add? Please let us know. Come to our website, thinkhardpodcast.com, and you can leave some comments for us there. You can also come to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 
slash thinkhardpodcast, or you can tweet at us at thinkhardpod. We're going to do our recommendations, what we've been thinking about since our last episode. But before we do, we are going to talk about our sponsor, Audible. Audible has the largest library of audiobooks in the world. And oh man, there are so many good books to choose from (laughs) for the purposes of this conversation. I'm going to recommend The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. And it was originally published in 1910. So this is an old one. Mm. I've read it and it really outlines this law of attraction thing to the letter over 100 years ago. So it's pretty amazing. And Audible has it on audiobook. You can get that free title now if you just go to thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible you'll get that free title or any of the thousands of titles that audible has to offer after 30 days you get one audiobook a month for $14.95 a month and you receive 30% off the price of additional audiobook purchases and you can cancel at any time so even if you just get that one book and then decide it's not for you you can cancel not pay any extra money and you get to keep the book again that's thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible thinkhardpodcast.com slash audible All right, Jose, what have you been thinking about since our last episode? Danielle, I've been thinking about all day. (sighs) Have you ever heard of all day? Uh, uh, Not other than referring to a unit of time, no. (laughs) Okay. All Day is an album by an artist who goes by the name of Girl Talk. Ring any bells? Yeah, I know Girl Talk. So Girl Talk made this album all day. It is a mashup of R&B and hip hop with rap songs. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it'll be the lyrics or the sung part from one song and the beats and music from another song. Great album. I'm not here to talk about the album. Okay. Anne Marsden, a dancer from New York, but who now lives in Boulder, Colorado made this movie. So because of the way it was sampled, actually the all day album is free because the samples were under the limit where you have to pay. So he couldn't charge for the album, but you know, yeah, Mm -hmm. she took the music and made a video for the whole album. That is an intercut of her and two other dancers dancing, dancing like ballet, modern, even some hip hop dance throughout one day in New York city from the start of the morning to way into midnight and all day is this video it's available on youtube there'll be a link in the what we're thinking about and it is a masterpiece it is as hokey as the mashup idea is it is genuine and sincere to see these three dancers integrate the city and people's regular day with the creativeness of dance it's electric it pushes emotion right into you the film is actually called girl walk and it is just amazing wow that sounds incredible so Mm -hmm. she and these other dancers dance all day as in like for a 24-hour period or just morning to night to this album the scenes cover a day and they are one per song and it goes from the morning to the evening i see cool i love that i love dance so it sounds incredible and as you said these links Everything that we refer to on this segment, what we're thinking about, is on that portion of our website at thinkhardpodcast.com. So you can always go to the what we're thinking about section on our website and find all of our recommendations from all of our shows. So this week, I have been thinking about The House on the Rock. Hmm. Have you heard of this? Nope. 
Oh my God, this place is crazy. So this is a museum thing in Wisconsin. It's in Southwest Wisconsin. I took my husband there a few years ago. And as we were driving up the very long entryway to get to the house and it's road you go down and it's lined with these giant planters of dragons crawling all over each other. And these things are like 10 feet wide and five feet deep and they're full of like plants and flowers. Wait, and did things. you just say dragons? Dragons, yeah. Huh. Yeah, so these like round planters with dragons crawling all over them and they're huge and there's not just like one or two of them. There are like 20 of these things lining the drive just to get to the house. And so Dan, my husband, is in the car and we're looking at these things and he's like, what is that thing? And why are there so many of them? And I was like, that is the thing that you will say over and over and over again today. Because the House on the Rock is this house that was built by this guy who like fancied himself a contemporary of Lloyd Wright. He built this house and then filled it with the craziest collection of crap in the world. It's enormous. He has rooms that are full of stringed pneumatic instruments where you push compressed air through the instruments and it plays them. But there's like a whole room full of these things and they're programmed to play like the Blue Danube. And then not only are the instruments there, but then there are mannequins dressed in ball gowns that look like they're playing the instruments. Oh my God. (laughs) And that's like a room. And then you go to the next room and it's the same thing, but now there are red lights in it and it's playing like some other song. And then there are like 10 of these rooms. How big is this place? I can't even just, it's a campus. I mean, it's it's huge. (laughs) I can't even describe it. It's so weird. Inside the house, there is a carousel that has 200 pieces on it and none of them are horses. They're all like mermaids and giraffes and sea serpents and all sorts of crazy things. And the room that it is in is this giant warehouse looking room and the walls of the warehouse are lined with carousel horses. There's one room that is full of nothing but giant wraparound pipe organs and six foot tall beer steins. I'm not kidding. It's just like... So when did you guys go here? It's the craziest fucking place on earth. So... I first went when I was like 13 because I grew up in the Chicago area and Uh this is only a few hours from there. And then Dan and I went, I don't know, maybe five years ago. And um, Why is this the first I've ever heard of this? (laughs) I feel like you should have told me about this a long time ago. (laughs) I have to show you some of the pictures. It is like the craziest fucking place on earth. If any of you live near Dodgeville and Spring Green, Wisconsin, Mm. you must go to this place. It's called The House on the Rock. It's really expensive to get in. They've like turned it into this museum and it's like, it'll cost you like I don't know, 60 bucks or something to go through all of it. It's worth it. Do it. Pay the money. Go through all three parts of it. It is insane. And there is no other place like it on earth. If I went to this place, is this like a a day commitment? Oh, yeah. Would it take a day? Yes. Oh, then I think 60 bucks is nothing. I mean, if it's going to entertain me for an entire day, then that's nothing. Yeah. No, it it will definitely take a full day. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just there's nothing more I can say about it except you must see it to believe it. 
All right. So that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Dear listeners, please let us know what you thought about today's episode. Come visit us at thinkhardpodcast.com, where you can find our archives. Leave a comment or question for us. You can come to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thinkhardpodcast. Please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast app. But if you go to Apple Podcasts specifically, it's sort of this epicenter where (laughs) podcasts get rated and reviewed and other people will be able to find the show. The more people who give us ratings and reviews, the more we can spread the Think Hard love. I have visualized you submitting a review. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks to our editor and sound engineer, Dan Short. You can find him at danisnotshort.com. Thanks to Ben Sound at bensound.com for the music for today's episode. You can follow Jose Muniz on Twitter at the Muniz. You can follow me, Danielle Asusa, at Danielle Asusa. And you can follow Think Hard at Think Hard Pod. That's our show for today. We'll be back again in two weeks. See ya!